Hey everybody. Uh, wow, I never like did that before. I never like started an episode like that before. I don't really talk like that. I think <laughs> like I'm a little weird right now. Like I just can't, I just got inside. I'm a little frazzled. I'm back in New York City. It's not, I'm not happy about it. I'm, like I'm not psyched about being in New York right now. Um, oh, the whole thing is like off. I need to move the microphone up, I think. Um, I'll do that like when you're talking. Um, but yeah, and I just like shot a film yesterday and I just like don't know what life is right now. So sometimes I just talk out of character and I'm just like sounding like I'm a host of a show or something, but I'm really not. I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy who just talks a bunch of shit. Um, anyway, I'm with a friend who we haven't caught up in a while. When was the last time I saw you? Dude, I think it's been like, more than... No, yeah. not five. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a couple of years for sure. I left LA pretty much in 2017 and I've only been back a couple times. So it's probably been since 2017 then. Yeah. And you, have you been, I mean, I wouldn't have seen you in New York. Like I don't, it's not like I like hang out here and like see people. I don't do that. I just like. What do you do in New York then? I just sit by myself and drink tea <laughs> and I go to the movies. I order sushi to my house. No, I go for sushi. I go to, I go to the, the counter. All the, all the good sushi chefs know me. It's like my big flex. Like I could take girls to sushi places and they're like, they know me and they always serve us different. I'd mm -hmm. say like one of my favorite flexes is sitting next to other white people at sushi bars and them getting like the standard shit. Like they get unagi and I get anago and I don't have to ask for it. They just give me the anago because they know that I know anago and I'm not going to eat that trash white people unagi shit unless I'm going to like a straight up unagi restaurant because only gringos eat like unagi at you know, in an omakase, it's total gringo shit. You sound like a, like a true New Yorker. Sean. <laughs> Tell me about LA. What's going on? How, what's the energy like? Well, whew. I mean, we're talking in August, right? After today. I'm pouring myself some white tea. <laughs> I'm still, I'm drinking my iced latte to keep me awake for the rest of the day. Although I should okay. <laughs> to tea at some point. Uh, LA is the same, you know, it's, LA is already designed as a socially distant city. So the pandemic has not changed, uh, you know, city life that much out here. Um, but everyone is definitely working from home. So having a pool has become more, more important than ever before. Right. And making friends with pools, you know. Um, and I have a feeling a lot of I people, people didn't already do that just in case they were still trying to go to the standard or whatever, you know, oh, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not happening. People. Have you ever been in the pool at the standard? I don't think so. No, I've like been to happen. or like the Roosevelt. Like, have you ever physically gone in the water? I, I feel like it's kind of, it's like the Hudson river, you know, like you just, <laughs> You look at it, you know that occasionally people go in. You know that it happens, but you wouldn't do it. Mm -mm. Like, I've, I've DJed at Tropicana and, and Standard, both of them a million times, but it's never crossed my mind that I would go in the water. Never. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one at the Standard is kind of small anyway. It's more like a 
puddle. But yeah. for sure, out of all the hotel pools out there, out here in LA, I can't say that I, you know what? I have been in the one at Petit Hermitage. I think I've been in that one too. That one's a little safer, I think, because it's like, it has that whole like exclusivity umbrella of it and they're European and stuff. But, but then again, I've never been in Chateau. I wouldn't really go. I would have to be like, it would have to be like a wasted night if I went in the Chateau pool, like super wasted to the point of it's bad that I'm in water because I might not get out. I might drop. <laughs> then all the girls will come and save you. Oh, the girls that so you took for sushi in New York. That would be so it. LA. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Man, right? This whole other life, this whole other world. Like, you know me from like, like hanging out with porn stars that don't look like porn stars. Like, <laughs> that's how you know me and then my life is so different so different <laughs> the result <clears throat> you, you've got, but you've upgraded to to like new york city great well i mean i'm from here i just came to la for a minute that's that was, true that's true i keep that was forgetting. A brief period mm. so what what happened why did you leave la um, I was never planning to stay forever. So it was never like, but it, it wasn't like I, I, I arrived with an out time. Um, but I, why did I leave? Um, it was a million things. I mean, honestly, like, it's a whole life story. Uh, it was just, I was growing progressively. You think like, which is the best way to tackle this from the like, okay. I got the best job that could ever exist. Like, like I, I got the best job that I could have ever had. Mm. So at, at the company in the best moment, at, at the best company at the best moment to do that, it was never going to be as good and autonomous as we, as we had it. It was only, so everyone who got my job after me got a shittier job partially because you know because because of me because i did a bad job like i didn't achieve my goals so anyone who got it after me did not have the same autonomy and you know it wasn't single it was a bunch of people um so i looked at the landscape of like the industry and you know so the purpose of being in los angeles either you're there to be in the industry or you're there to be surrounded by a certain type of creative and I think this is actually a good way to answer this question. Yeah. Like, so the industry proved not for me. Like I, I just didn't, if that was that when I'm leaving Apple, it was like, I, I burned it. I burned my position to the ground because I was faced with like, okay, if I were called for this job, like the job that it would be, if I didn't, if I didn't go all in uh, and burn myself to the ground, like, uh, would I have taken that job? And I asked myself that and I said, no, I, you know, if, if they called me and said, you know, some global marketing position at Apple music, like I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't want to. I liked my life before. Um, so I allowed it to be burned to the ground in the interest of making it the thing I wanted it to be, which, and I lost, but that wasn't going to be anywhere else. So the whole thing was 
going to be shittier moving forward. It was going to get consolidated. It was going to turn into radio. And I literally wrote this. I think you, I'm sure you read like that thing that I wrote when I left with the Frank Ocean release day. Like I wrote, like it's turning into radio and that's not what we set out to make, but there's this other stuff there that y'all are missing. Um, anyway, so like, I didn't believe in that. And then the other reason to be in Los Angeles is to be surrounded by creatives. Um, and I, once I kind of crossed the line of like, okay, cool, I'm going to dive into my own creativity. I don't want to work at Spotify. I don't want to work at YouTube. I don't want to work at Snapchat, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm going to dive into my own creativity and a bunch of other things were happening in my life at the same time. I had like death and birth and love and all these different things happening around me, which was driving me there. So it wasn't just straight up like, oh, I might as well. It was also, I had some wonderful inspirational moments while like at my job like the people I was around, I always credit Ian Rogers and obviously Larry Jackson as like major, major proponents of, of personal growth. And I was like, I could do stuff. So I want to see what I could do. And then once I go down that pathway, it was like, I don't want any of this Los Angeles creativity. So I want, you know, I want other things. I want, I want more free thinking. Um, you know, I, I wrote a lot at the time, like Kanye was using that phrase free thinking. And I was like, that's what, that's, that's the thing I've been trying to articulate. Um, like, I don't want to be you know, with a big publisher or something like that. I don't want to be working with, you know, cool, busy producers and sessions in LA. I don't want that. And um, I don't want to be making films out here either. And, and yeah, so that brought me to Europe and Asia and New York is like the best place in the United States for that, for me. Like there's, there's cities I really like also like New Orleans and shit, but New York is just, it's where I'm from. So it was just kind of a default. Like I didn't, so I left Los Angeles cause I really didn't want to be in Los Angeles. I guess the last part is politics and just culture. Like we grew up, um, you know, you are, uh, the reason why I actually like timed this kind of like pseudo intentionally to talk to you now was you were like ahead of the, like, we give a shit about things wave. And you were hanging out and you were taking your position in the industry and hanging out with a lot of people who were just like partying and, you know, oh, dance music is hot right now. And you were taking it and you, you know, built a platform that I want the rest of this episode to really be about um, that was like pre everyone needing to have a platform to show how much they care about the world. Um, so I was living in Los Angeles in this time period when it shifted. And I remember I, like, you could look back on my medium. Like I wrote some like fucking really upset shit on November 8th, 9th and 10th, uh, about Kamala's inauguration, about the protests that came after, about all these things that I was there for. And I, I hated the energy. I hated the conversations. I hated like I was using phrases that weren't phrases yet. I was articulating the things that people are saying now. I've been articulating it since, you know, 2015, 2016 about like, I cannot have these conversations. I remember being on a date with a girl and being like, hey, like with love, like I, I don't want to talk about the justice system. Like, and, and with respect, like, you know, it's my Wednesday also, but like, and that's mainly what I'm saying. Like, I just don't want to talk about this right now. I don't want to spend my time talking about this right now, but also like, I have to, I, I, I have to say it, like, I know enough to know that you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I just, I don't want to have like a, you know, a, a fake intellectual conversation about something that neither of us really know about, but I know more than you because I'm listening to you. And I know that even though I'm ignorant, I'm less ignorant than you. And I'm not trying to act like I know anything, but 
Um, I just couldn't stand these, I couldn't stand the liberal echo chamber. And yeah, I guess those were like the three elements. It was like industry, I didn't want a part of anymore. Creative stuff, I did, but not in Los Angeles, not in the, the, the manufacturing system that they have. And three, culturally, I couldn't be around the echo chamber anymore. Um, but I always have pockets of people who I like and people who I respect and people who I know are like doing shit on their own, not because of the, the ecosystem. And you had, she said so from before all these assholes needed to have their things. And I'm super, super impressed at like, it's a big deal now. It's really like you guys are everywhere and I love watching it. So, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. I just said a bunch of shit, but. Uh, <laughs> Sean, I have to correct you. you. You have to say you people are everywhere, not you guys. One thing, one thing we're right. doing with our inter intersectionality committee, we just launched a style, a style guide that encourages people to adopt gender neutral language or intersectional language rather. I, I always correct that. I've been correcting that forever and I, and I fucked up and you're absolutely right and I'm sorry. My responsibility to Please point. correct me, yeah, thank you. Gentle, gentle, But I feel you, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying about LA and to be honest, I have a love-hate relationship with it that is born precisely out of these kind of conflictions that I have within myself about it. You know, on one hand, everyone in the industry is here now. Everyone that no, matters, right. Yes. Right? That's what people um, I have no, like <laughs> I'm born and raised in New York City. My father runs a record label in New York City. And when you say that, I have no correction for you. Yep. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> you have the pandemic, right? That kind of made it not matter as much anymore because people are starting to leave big cities although i don't think that's true of la yet i think rather that are a bunch of new yorkers I don't, yeah i think a lot of people are leaving new york but i i haven't met any because when you're in la you already have some space even like like we live you live in west hollywood i lived in west hollywood like i had a two-bedroom with a pool you know it wasn't that it was like i would have been fine you know i do not have a pool and yeah. I kind of, I'm kind of sad that you're not here to use your pool anymore. I would have had you over every day. Yeah, it was a great. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think LA is, is here to, to stay. It's not going to be uh, disrupted by, by the pandemic. In that I sense. think it will only be emboldened by the pandemic. I think people will leave New York for LA even That's more so than they here. were before. I was really hoping that rent will go down as a result of this crisis, you know, one positive thing to come out of it, but uh, it hasn't started yet. I, it hasn't started. If it's oh, happening in New York, I haven't noticed it. It's so <laughs> insane because everyone talks about everybody leaving, but like uh, realtors, listings, like I, I'm moving right now. Like I'm in, I'm in the last days of this home that I'm in right now and I'm moving to Rockaway Beach, but like, I'm not getting a crazy deal. Like I'm getting, it's a, it's a solid deal, but not getting like any, it's not, it's not like, oh my God, I'm paying like, you know, $1,200 for, no, like I'm paying regular people rent. Like, mm -hmm. well, they say the recession hasn't officially kicked in yet. People are still getting their last few weeks of unemployment, of boosted unemployment, right? With the 
so I can wait until there's more blood on the streets? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think it, the, the, yeah, it's about to get real nasty on the streets um, with the election coming and, you know. This is uh, going to be worse. Like November is going to be just like, or like October, November is just going to be, oh my, it's going to be like the worst time of our lives. Like. That's why I'm thinking maybe I do not want to be here for that. Maybe I Have need to be been in Los Angeles for the entire uh, pandemic or whatever? Yeah, and both uh, my partner and I, Jameson, we've been quite hardcore about quarantining, you know, not seeing a lot Good. of people up until maybe a month ago okay. or a few weeks ago, you know. We started seeing some people, but also still kind of in outdoor spaces, you know, just trying to be as mindful and careful as possible because you never know and i do not want anyone's you know bad health on my on my hands i was 100 percent isolated by myself in the middle like like it's not the middle on the coast of mexico like completely literally in a house by myself on the beach for up until three weeks ago i've been here now for three weeks well that doesn't sound that bad at least you were on the beach right oh, oh no no, no. I wasn't saying that as a bad thing. I was saying that like I vibe with the isolation. Like I'm conservative. I got tested for the third time in three weeks just now. I just got home from getting tested. I get tested like every week or two. Good, 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 good. I should get my test in soon enough. Um, but my yeah. On Thursday who, uh, who has a mom who's old and not well. And like she's, she doesn't see people. And she's like, she's like my, my sister. So, you know, we're going to try it. But yeah, I'm, I got tested because I want by Thursday to be able to say, yo, so as of, you know, Monday afternoon, I'm clean and I'm just going to be safe for, you know, I'm not going to be safe anyway, but extra safe for three days. And yeah. Because I mean, you know, you, you don't know, you don't know what's out there, right? It might be, the numbers might be skewed and all that, but the yeah, virus, really no idea. <laughs> it's real it's happening and people are getting hurt uh, left and right so it's our duty to to do the best we can right to take to take measures and uh especially given the fact that we know it's affecting certain types of underrepresented or marginalized communities more than others uh and as a result of that fact the government is not really taking any measures right because once again we're being confirmed what we already know the underrepresented people being underrepresented yeah exactly. no one gives a damn the yeah. government doesn't give doesn't give a damn about people it's so people. okay so go let's go this is actually like let's take this and go back to 2014 mm. and you started something that you know, talk, talk to me because basically like, like that's how I, I was talking to someone the other day and, and this was how I invoked, I told him, go read what I wrote in 2015. Right. Like my, my rant, like this was where my head was at in 2015 and like read it, you know, delete the date, copy and paste it and post it today. And it's like exactly how I feel. Cause I've just basically gone quiet, you know, mm -hmm. and you've gotten much more involved which I respect so much more and appreciate. I, I kind of like went into a cocoon to like rebuild and, and realign and make like my next thing. But you saw things happening and it was 2014, right? Am I? 
I moved here at the end of 2014. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. So, so talk to me about like you got to Los Angeles, and just, yeah, just give me the story. Like, yeah. Well, actually, I started. She said so when I was still in London. Uh, maybe just a. Okay. Oh, right, months. between the two. Yeah. yeah, it was maybe two three months uh, that that I started the online community and then hosted the first one or two events. I remember at Shoreditch House at a time when, you know, panels, they weren't really a thing. I feel like they're a thing in the industry. Now everyone's doing panels prior to the pandemic as well, especially now that everyone can use Zoom for that reason, but for that purpose. Panels back then, I'll tell you like my side, the way that I look at it, there have mm -hmm. always been panels, but they were with like actual experts then. Now, everyone talks on a panel and you know it's just like literally if you don't have some kind of agoraphobia you can be on a panel and it's just everyone like there there'll be like zoom sessions where like literally just five people from like just vaguely to do with some some industry <laughs> like are talking about whatever about not about nothing you know they're just they're generally like yeah you know it's really crazy how it's affecting freelance workers and like blah 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 and like just talking about stuff but there was a time where panels were just like there's been conferences forever it's not it's not like a new thing it's just they were actually like curated with like my dad would speak because he's like a big time professional, but like I wouldn't get asked to speak on a panel because mm -hmm. I was like a fucking joke, you know? Like now I could speak on anything I want. Now I could speak like, cause I put some t-shirts out. I could be a founder designer. I could be a clothing designer on a panel now for LVMH, <laughs> like if I really wanted. <laughs> well, that's an interesting point though, right? I mean, in a, in a way, yeah, sure. It's kind of annoying that there is no um, filter. But at the same time, isn't that precisely the very thing that we were trying to stand up against, which is the gatekeepers, the traditional gatekeepers, which we know they all kind of tend to look the same. They all yep. tend to have the same. My dad is, is a 63-year-old white guy who's a music industry executive and exactly. the same executives. Yeah. And you would only see people who looked like him on these panels. Wish, but for all right? intents and purposes, you know, white skin. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually talking to someone who's Jewish in, in electronic music and I was like, so hey, have you experienced any, you know, discrimination based on your ethnicity? And, and he was like, I was able, I was able to hide behind my uh, white skin. So no, I've been privileged oh. all the way through. <laughs> Eli from Soul Clap. Eli from Soul Clap? Yeah. So he's, he's a Boston Jew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, that's funny. Okay. I've talked that's, to him about that's it. That's been his experience, you know? I mean, of course, again, we're generalizing. We're making generalizations here. But um, he, his experience was that, you know, he, he was able to be uh, added in that group of privileged people. Let's just put him in that box. Let's just label, label him. And he's, he's I, mean, I think it's crazy. I talk about this sometimes, like, that Eli and I can be identified with anything but Jewish. Like, if you look at us, you know, like, like, if you don't know who Eli is, like, he's, he's got a big beard, bigger than mine, thicker than mine, like curly, you know, he's as Jewish as they get, huge nose, like, just, he's a fucking Jew. Like, I'm a real, I'm a fucking Jew, but he's Jewier than me. And it's, it blows my mind when anyone looks at me and they're, they don't know that I'm Jewish. Like, 
it's actually kind of beautiful in a way that we have this level of diversity in the world. Sometimes it's anti-Semitism, like, but often it's just straight up, like our world is massive and not everyone knows what a Jew looks like. But yeah, but that's wild that like, that we can pass as white. That's a whole nother topic that I, whatever, I don't exactly, want to. Exactly, exactly. I mean, more, more recently, anti-Semitism has come up in, in the music industry, you know, with yeah. the comments coming from, I mean, with Nick Cannon, with com comments coming in the UK from. Uh, Wiley. Wiley, exactly. Wiley did it. You Is know, it? Barlow and Ben Freeman. Yes, I've been following. We're doing, we're doing a thing. I'm talking to them later. And we're, we're going to do, and we're waiting for something that there's the thing happening tomorrow, and then we're going to do an episode all together. But yeah, even I have been talking a lot. Well, we'll send it along when it's ready for public yeah. listening. I, I'd love to, to learn more. And I have a few, you know, Jewish friends in my life that are, they're keeping me posted with, um, with their experience at the very least and their perspective. Uh, or their perspectives, rather, because not everyone's on the same page, you know. But see oh what you like. So, it's so rabbit hole. But like, <laughs> yes, like, but but when you said perspectives, uh, like, that's there's nothing like Judaism to be pluralist. Like, there's no more pluralist situation than because it's an ethno religion. It's it's a race. It's so, it's so, so many things. Yeah, exactly. Even once you understand. Even once you get agreement that Judaism is a race and a religion, which is really hard to get someone to agree who disagrees with that, really hard to walk them down that path to understanding of that. Then you have to get them down the path of like, it's not just one race, but it's five races in one. And like, fuck. And, they, and the, all those people, then you have to mix and match how they feel about the race, the religion, the politics, the state, Zionism, you know. Hey, so you touched on something extremely important that kind of defines the crux of She Said So and, and what I said to do with it from day one, okay. which is, of course, I'm here to represent women and women's rights and fight for gender equality. But it's very important to note that the way I've done it from, from the beginning, from 2014, prior to even making it to the States where this is even more important than in other places, is that the feminism that we approach as part of our work, which she said so, is intersectional. It's looking at a woman's identity from all of its angles, right? From uh, recognizing the fact that other uh, intersections have a drastic impact on a woman's experience, her potential, uh, well, not her potential, but but her her achievements and how she experiences life, or how she experiences the workplace. Let's just you know in the in the music business, yeah. let's, let's restrict it to that, right? We all we don't need to um, specify how the fact that you're a black trans woman with disability makes your life a million times harder than being a straight white woman or or a straight black woman for that matter you know and so having this conversation about feminism in a truly intersectional holistic way the way i at the very least was in, was intentional about is exhausting is a, such a complex conversation how do you go to a, a, a man who firstly they don't want to hear about gender equality in the first place but to go to them, not like only going to backwards, like, yeah. like Andrea started this in a time where like before me too, 
Me Too was not a thing. Like, let, let's just, let's, I want to like contextualize this because people often like, maybe they're passively listening and like, Me Too was not a thing. Before Me Too, no one, and this was like what I sort of alluded to, no one, I'm 36 years old, no one I know, none of my peers gave a fuck about anything. It was not cool to care about things. And I'm, it sounds like I'm, I'm kidding, but like, I, actually cynicism and sarcasm were values that people would say like it would be like you could look at a tinder profile and be like if you're not sarcastic like don't swipe right on me like that was my generation we were the because just to do a quick run through of it it's like because our parents got all the money they got to own everything and we have to rent and we're still renting from our parents the the, the millennials rent from the boomers and that sucks Every single one of our, of my, of, of my peers, you know, within 10 years, like had a shitty job market that they came into. So we got it handed down from Nirvana and, and, and shortly before the, the Nirvana, you know, Gen Xers that shit sucks and, you know, just like feel okay that shit sucks. And when shit sucks, like you want it, you're sarcastic and cynical about everything. And what happened was we looked at Kent State and we looked at the 60s and, you know, Vietnam and stuff. That was the last time we looked at people giving a shit about things. When George Bush and, and September 11th and shit happened, like it was like, it was ridiculous. Like just look at Occupy Wall Street. Like we did Occupy Wall Street. It was so fucking stupid. And like we didn't, and directionless and like, confusing like we did not know what we were doing we did not know how to care about things so before me too came along and changed everything it was it was just it if you're telling people that we have to i was about to say a name and i'm not going to because it's not productive but like that this man like the first one who got like me too'd in the music industry has been doing stuff for a long time, which I watched, I was young and I was there, I was at those things and I was confused about it. And people said shit, no one listened, no one gave a fuck. So when you started this, it was different, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it was different, you're, you're right, no one gave a fuck. That includes uh, women themselves, you know, because I was knocking on women's doors to be like, hey, I'm creating this kind of, they would say, don't, don't be, you know, don't cause any, uh, yeah. you know, don't make yourself untouchable, you know? Exactly. I do not want to make people aware that I'm a woman, you know? I don't want to be labeled as a woman. That was the, the, the number one sort of response that I get. And I, I totally understand. I, because the moment you expose yourself, uh, you're not being, you're not going to be welcome in the door. You're not going to be invited to, you know, wherever wherever those decisions are being taken, which is typically in a strip club, golf course, in some sort of fun environment where women are, if they are in the room, they are there as an object to play with, right? They're the source of entertainment, not really uh, there for the business talk. Let's just be serious. Yeah, no, I remember going out, you know, when I was like 20 and I was in A&R, I was like, a, you know, a nothing A&R, but I knew because of my dad, I knew like the, the bosses. And I remember going to like the show with all the people from the company, but then going out after and I would get that invite and it was different women who were with us. And, and some of them were professionals, but they were, they looked a different, they looked a certain way and they, we weren't talking work anymore. And, you know, it was, it was different. 
Exactly. I mean, I was never in those rooms, but I had a feeling and I also I was had super confused about it. I was, I was a kid and I was like, wait, like, why is this person from this company here exactly? Like, I'm so confused, but she's gorgeous. And like, well, it, it, exactly. And, and again, you know, without focusing too much on that, on that side of things, the, the situation, the environment was, was basically different, but it was bubbling up. You know, I feel like it, I, I definitely came at a time. In fact, I started, she said so because I was inspired by a similar community in, for women in tech. I at the time was working at Mixcloud uh, in London. So at the intersection of music and technology at a time when everyone was uploading shit on their SoundCloud and I had to go knock on people's doors and be like, Hey, you know, that thing called licensing, we pay, we actually pay for that license and your content will be safe with us forever. No one cared, of course, because they were not, they weren't getting as many numbers and hits and plays and followers. I remember, I mean, I was one of those people and, and <laughs> I was like on a panel with Nico a couple of years later and I remember I still didn't really care. Uh, I would <laughs> upload stuff, but I would do it because like, you know. I mean, people still don't really care. There's still thriving platforms out there that do not pay licenses yet but there's music being streamed, you know. I was just like, I'm getting, you know, millions of hits on SoundCloud. And I just, I was super involved in, in trying to get the licenses and trying to like advance the tech really. But when it came to me, like as an artist, as a DJ, I didn't give it, I knew I couldn't care. It wasn't there yet. And yeah, I mean, I it's still, it's still not there yet. That's, that's the thing, you know. I was super involved as a, as this person who was somehow, a music tech person which was which is a hilarious i don't know why but for some <laughs> reason but like i was involved in that sense but nothing ever came of it we're still not there you know yeah yeah exactly exactly maybe that's one of the reasons why i decided to explore other options you know because i felt you were like walking around and having these conversations and no one gave a shit and wait, so how did that integrate into what you're thinking about she said so well, because at the time, right, I was already doing the knocking on doors and not getting a lot of interest uh, for my job anyway. I was getting a similar response, which she said so. Uh, but I, and so I went ahead and did it anyway. You know, I, I created she said so within three days, there were maybe 100. No, there were 20 women. Then I hosted my first event. Those are 20 women that I invited that I kind of came across from my uh, uh, experience with Mixcloud. What I noticed then was that I was always kind of talking, emailing back and forth with a woman. And then when it came down to have the meeting, you know, the decision-making meeting, the like closing meeting, she wouldn't be there or she would be there, but she would be with her boss and she would be quiet in the background taking notes. Uh, and again, I'm being binary here, you know, which he, she, just to like make it easier to, to, um, yeah, we're, we're referring to intersectionality. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to use the, the binary pronouns for, for, for now, just to make that clear distinction. Um, so, you know, I decided to put together our own little club, uh, essentially inspired by a similar, um, uh, community of women in tech. Say who that was? Just to shout them out or no? Or don't if it's a, if it's no. Private. I want I want to shout them out, yeah, but I just like, can't remember. Or whatever, not, not not important. I was just saying it literally as like a props to 
you know, that was it. Yeah, I, I'd love to shout them out actually because they did give if me If we that. think of it, I'll post it in the description or something. Mm -hmm. I know they were named after uh, uh, like a, a, a really early female innovator in, in tech. I think she wrote the first code for something or can't remember. Um, but essentially I noticed because I was quite active, you know, I was young, I was hungry. I just wanted to make friends. I wanted to do, be the best I can be at my job make as many industry connections as possible. So I was out every day, either at a music music show or a tech event, you know, a, a meetup, a networking event. Those were really popular in, in London at the time because Silicon Roundabout, which is the, the London version of Silicon Valley was only just kind of uh, getting, you know, it was only just getting attention from, uh, people in business in, in London, you know, startups were, were kind of a thing that lame people were doing who couldn't get a job at Apple or Google, basically, you know, that that's how things were being viewed at the time. But I was in there, you know, constantly networking with music and tech people. And what I noticed is that the tech folks, of course, I was one of the few, if not the only woman in the room, um, but they, they were coming to me, they were approaching me, they were super nice, they just wanted to meet me, they were so excited that a woman is there, you know, and they were having serious conversations with me, they weren't trying to hit on me, they were, of course, they had a slightly different approach, like a nicer kind of, you know, hi, so what's your name sort of thing, but they weren't, you know, they weren't crossing the line, that's for sure. I never felt like it was it was a different dynamic than an actual, you know, professional networking opportunity yeah. going on here. Whereas when I would be in music environments, typically in um, the, the green room, right? I would go to shows, I was added to the guest list because of Mixcloud, I made my, my friends like that, la la la. And then of course we'd be in the green room and it would be the most freaking awkward experience ever. It took me forever to get in because until my friend came with the bracelet, you know, the bouncers, everyone thought that I'm just a groupie trying to snog the artist or something after the show. Uh, secondly, while in the green room, you could just feel there was a weird tension, you know, there were definitely a considerable number of women there. Um, who, who knows they could they could have been anyone really but the assumption was always that the women in the room are there to kind of please and entertain and and like serve even in in some cases you know um and that really bothered me you know i i noticed that actually tech, music and tech are going to start blending more and more but there are crucial differences between the culture involved in each. And I'm not saying that technology has its diversity box checked, uh, checked because they're dealing with issues just um, like everyone else, of course. Diversity means more than gender diversity. Um, but at the same time, they, they were way ahead. They were a, a few steps ahead. They were at the very least acknowledging that this is even a thing. As you said, in music, no one gave, gave a damn at the time. Yeah. Well, it was kind of lame if you brought it up, right? Yeah. Like no one was, was talking about it. It was just yeah. like, what, what do you care? So slowly, slowly, you know, I put together the, the online community. It was a Google group. It still is, even though I'm going to move it in a few weeks. Um, and surely within the first event, I went from 20 people 
to 150 because uh-huh. those women, when they had an, you know, our own me too. Yeah. yeah, in London, we had our own me too moment in that room in Shoreditch House in the in the private bar area, where it was a women's only event. I invited a few, you know, uh, veterans of the industry, women who have been around for a while, and they've been through it um to talk about their experience that was it right at the beginning the the movement the feminist movement in music was all about us women kind of creating that awareness and 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 sharing those stories and letting people know that hey this is happening and this is fucked up yeah so it was a lot of venting at the beginning a lot of me too kind of little moments between the women sharing these stories you know so from those 30 or so people 30 to 50 people who were in the room that day we multiplied to 150 within two days because those women then went and told their friends, Hey, this thing she said, so exists. It's kind of secret. It was very secret, but not on purpose. It was secret just because it was was like literally just between us women. And it was about, Hey, let's get together and talk about this crazy shit that's going on in the industry. And no one's talking about, am I crazy? Is it just me? Or is this an actual problem? And I, let's remember, I'm from Romania. I didn't grow up with the Western European type of thinking. In Romania, firstly, you know, as a country, we don't really matter. (laughs) Um, And yeah, um, we've been a a pawn, you know. And as a result of 60 years of communism, in fact, what ended up happening, a lot more equality between genders. In, in the country. Uh, we were still fucked up as a country, economically speaking, and there's a lot of, you know, inappropriate behavior and a really weird relationship with sexual education in, in Romania, but that's a story of an, for another time. In terms of workplace equality, that, that was there more so than it was in these Western countries that I all of a sudden woke up to, you know, after I uh, graduated. Um, and so I didn't have the, the, you know, I didn't have the London, UK kind of background to reference historical moments or the suffragettes movement or anything like that. I was coming in purely from my own experience as a woman. You're just looking, though, at what's in front of you and being like, this is kind of not cool. This is not cool. And here's how I about it, yeah. fix it. Yeah. You know, these guys all have their little clubs, whether they are actual clubs or not. Um, it feels like they have their own boys club. Why don't we just make our own for now? At the very least, to come together and help each other out and share jobs, because I know that's how jobs in the music industry are being passed around, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a secretive, you know, the good jobs aren't actually posted on job boards. They're recruited for... Well, I've, I've always just said there's a merry-go-round, basically. And once you, you sort of, you level up, and you get into like the next merry-go-round and the next and the next. And like, once you're in that merry-go-round, like you can be, you know, like once you're executive VP A&R at a major label, like you can just go from one to, you could just do six different major labels for the rest of your life and just do that forever. You'll always have one of those jobs. Um, if you're the, if you're a record company president, you could be a record company president for life. Just, you know, every, every two to eight years you switch yeah that's it and you don't have to like have another hit record really you just need to like exist yep and that's exactly the fact that the industry works in that way is exactly why it's so monochromatic 
you know, and that, that there is no diversity uh, of any kind and that there is so much discrimination and uh, stereotyping and all the bad stuff that, you know, are now buzzwords for, for everyone that everyone all of a sudden cares about. And mind you, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm happy that everyone's talking about it and, and caring about it because even if it's yeah, still it's, it's a net positive, it's a net yeah. positive. It's a net positive, exactly. Even, even if it's ridiculous, even if I want to make fun of it, even if I don't want to be like on a date with the person talking like that, like, am I ha would I prefer this person like not talking? Like, no, it's the same thing with like the black square. It's like, you know, with Black Tuesday, Blackout Tuesday, like, would I have preferred that we didn't do Blackout Tuesday? Like, like, no, I mean, it was a net positive, of course. Did we absolutely fuck it up like yeah we fucked it up big time but like am i happy it happened of course i'm total I'm, I'm thrilled ecstatic that it happened yeah and that's and multiplied by a million things like there's a lot of people who like do they like yes they bother me but they bother me less than they would bother like it, it's it's like guys you know if you want if you want to put if you want to like make it practical actually i think this is a better way to phrase it is that like there's guys that I still think are assholes, but like they're probably we probably like reduced, and this is like a fucked up. This is this is like a rough way to phrase this, but like we probably reduced the amount of times they're gonna rape. Like at, just straight up. Like I have a bunch of friends who have super problematic relationships with women. Like they're aggressive. They're they they see things weird, but like this they're probably gonna rape less than they would have otherwise I, I, as sick as that set as that sounds like there you go um, you know there you go. because like, there are people yeah, out right? there it's exactly those people who are outside of our circles and of our echo chambers that need yeah. to be hearing these things right and they're not going to hear it from me because i'm pretty sure people like that if they behave like that they won't be coming across she said so just randomly organically you know in their internet uh, journey, uh, booking tickets for, for this or that. The music industry, especially there's a huge spectrum. I remember this time, like, just cause I made one allusion to it. Like I remember like even my party, which, you know, I like to think is like super, you know, it was like blaze and I created it on the idea that like, we were going to have like a diversity of hosts to create like a different kind of representation in the music industry beyond like this is you know the apple party or this is the ausla party or this is the just the way that we were typically invited to parties was very monochromatic and and um uh, we wanted to do something that like we stacked it with people that you're not used to getting like party invites from like maybe they're industry people but it's like they're not necessarily like put in the front and that was kind of the the idea behind reunion um and we would send email blasts like talking about you know ideas of ways that we wanted the we weren't quite as far like into you know the social causes as you it was more just like energy we were just trying to like get ideas out there and and yeah like the one of the weird things this was through blaze not me but like we had a lot of like like whatever uh, they, they say it i don't think I, I think it's it sounds like derogatory but it's not really but like like porn stars like actresses whatever you want like they would come all the time and uh, it became like a thing where some people recognize them, some didn't, because they don't look like what they look like in the videos, and they have different names. Um, they look like, you know, 
they look like DJs, honestly. Like they're like, shoot, they were like, you know, they, they just dress different and they look different. And um, I remember like at one of the parties, like someone spoke to one of my very, very dear friends uh, and said, you don't have to be ashamed of your, of, of your profession. And he was a guy that I knew, like friend of mine, director that I've hired to do videos, the person that I've like produced things with. Like I had no idea that was like, that was such a sick thing to say. I was so, I, I, I went, I blew up on him. And um, so like, I just mean, you know, even in that room, the diversity of diversity in a bad way, the diversity of, of, of toxicity, mm. like, cause, cause it's music, cause it's creative that like, you know, there's other things that the, the like the filters are just different. Mm -hmm. so you can get super, super toxic, you know, like in hip hop, for example, like there's disgusting misogyny. And then there's like total, you know, quote, like wokeness, and they might be, they're at the same party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to get into that because it's definitely not my topic of, of whatever dance music. That was more, more my world, you know, there's, there's yeah. a DJ world, but like, yeah, there's like, there's, you know, there's Skrillex who's like super cool. And like, I've never heard a bad thing about him in that sense. And then there's people that I'm just like, you know, I remember being at ADE where I, I know you guys are super active at ADE. And I, and mm -hmm. I had this, the, the week that Weinstein article came out, we were at ADE. And um, I remember I had a conversation with someone who was like a guy who I know who only has, he's only has male DJ friends and male music industry, you know, underground music industry and club owner and promoter friends. And the only women in his life are like maybe a couple famous female DJs and strippers. And this guy, I, it was one of the worst fucking conversations. He was basically just being like, this doesn't happen in our industry. And I was like, why? I was like, yo, we're, we're like next door to the convention center at ADE. Like you're at like a 60 to one ratio probably at your party tonight of men to women. You think that's just what? Cause like guys, uh, your music, house music appeals to men more that, than that's women? That's what they say. Yeah, that's what they say. I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, are... no. Women don't come to your parties because they get assaulted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was like, no, dude, you're just being like, a, he was like basically calling me a snowflake. Like not, not the word because the Democrats don't use that word. But like, he was just like, you're being like too whatever, you know? <laughs> You're being, you're being, uh, um, damn, it's just a, 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 a sample of white, white fragility. This is the wrong term. I'm taking it out of context. No, but you're, yeah. yeah. So, and do you feel like conversations that guys have of between guys have changed in the meantime? Uh, mostly no. Um, mostly it's just, uh, it depends how, if you're around, they change, but if you're not around and we're in a safe place and it's, you know, four walls, that's the phrase that I'm sure you've heard, you know, four walls. Um, that's not strictly like a guys talking rapey shit phrase, but it just means like in confidence, like we're mm -hmm. in a safe place. Like we can say disgusting shit right now and we can talk about the people we're going to steal from and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and like <laughs> the laws we're gonna break, corporate law and stuff we're gonna break, like four walls. Um, but no, it, it's not changed. Um, they would label, you know, so they, you would be like an unsafe 
like like it's just more hyper awareness and like like many times and still today um you know single guys in my life like the oh she's you know she's like all me too out and stuff like that like are like phrases i would hear stuff like that yeah uh, exactly i mean i'm definitely not getting invited to any parties let's just put it that way you're not, not getting invited to any parties in terms of you know la parties those kind of those kind you're, of you're personally invited to fewer parties than you were before <laughs> i i have a feeling that's that's what's happening i mean i'm just i'm just kind of throwing it out there that's surprising to me because I think most, what I'm talking about is something that happens very, it happens in two places, very quietly, like guy to guy, straight, typically light-skinned guy to straight, typically light-skinned guy, um, just less so because because the, the darker your skin is, the more, I think, like the more likely you're, just intersectionality, you know, like someone who has experienced racism is more likely to understand the suffering of, of, of someone who's experienced misogyny. I, I think yeah. I personally, I agree. You know, people would disagree with me, but that, I, I personally think that um, when you're all the things, when you're straight, cisgender, white male, you know, people make fun of me when I, when I list all the things and, and cause they think I'm being, you know, I'm like what we just said, I'm doing like the, the snowflake thing, but I'm like, no, when you're all the things, like it, you get, when you have none of them, when you have no reference point to marginalization, you're a different person. It, it's, it's, you, you have to marry someone who, who teaches it to you. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that point. Or you have to have like your, your, your daughter, you know, you, you like something that crazy has to happen in your life for you to actually get opened up to it. Otherwise you're reading a book and it's like, who gives a fuck? But no, so uh, to answer, you know, I think these conversations happen in one, they happen in private, not in public. Uh, it's at dinner, and then it's like at the after party. And the after party is still the same after party. All the, you know, the arrangements and stuff like that, all that's the same. That ecosystem is still the same. I think it's more prevalent because it ha now, now guys can't be gray area like that. They have to go full on. So I think that actually made the whole, that ecosystem more important. But I would think that the mainstream is more on your side. So I would think you would get invited to more parties. I would think that you would actually become the token, like, <laughs> yeah, like I get invited to those parties, right? But I don't get invited to every party now. Getting <laughs> invited what to 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 the strip club? Like, well, let's let's just say there's no parties going on now anyway. Twenty twenty, right? Well, sure. Maybe, maybe that's changing that's changing altogether but that's what i mean those kind of parties where things happen like at the mansion when someone when a club promoter brings 15 girls like that <laughs> that's a different kind of party that sure you're not getting invited to but you weren't getting invited to that before like you're just not getting invited no. to that no i'm not you're tall not enough to be into that <laughs> yeah fine <laughs> But like if that party was happening after reunion or something like that, like you wouldn't be invited. I would like if I was, I've been to those parties and I would not, this has nothing to do with misogyny. This is just straight up. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't invite you. Like you wouldn't <laughs> want to be there. Like I've been to those things and they're different. And like, I know you wouldn't want to be there. And I would no with no like ill will, I would just not encourage you to go. <laughs> I would just be like, <laughs> 
Well, let's just hope no no future of, of people is being discussed at those after parties, right? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, if deals are done and, you know, work is done and yeah, of course it's, it's, it, uh, yeah, we could, we could say it's not, but no, that would be. And, uh, and ultimately, those are the mechanisms that continue to drive this industry forward. And yeah, of course, we have the other side, you know, there's definitely, as you said, quote unquote, the woke side of the industry. I would just think the mainstream, like everything but that is way, way, way more accessible to you. And you are in a position of much, much, much more influence. Yeah. Like no, before sure. when you, like you... I think that if I, I think I like, we put you guys like on the invites back in the day. And mm -hmm. like, that was like nothing to me. Like it was, I wasn't making a statement in any way. I wasn't like being on the right side of history. Yeah. Or like, this was literally just like, oh, this person's in my life. She seems nice. And like, I, I like this cause. So like, cool. That was, that was the amount of thought put into it. Like, <laughs> this is a cause I care about, like what not to, this doesn't even come into play, but like, I just like, I had a rape happen in my life when I was super young and this became a big part of my life forever. It is like all my films are about this. This is what I, this is what I care about. But I wasn't like, like, we've never talked about that. I wasn't like, oh my God, this is a person in the music industry who cares about misogyny. Let me be her best friend because I, this, this is a cause that I, I don't, I, I was like living my life, you know? So it wasn't like some big, thing but i would think now it would be a big thing it would be like oh reunion x she said so like that makes reunion like you know uh on the right side of history you know i would think that that's is that is that the reality is that valuable now or what it is we definitely you know we get invitations to be to partner with different types of people uh, in order to validate each other's work. Let's just put it that way. Because I don't think we're at a point where, um, you know, Facebook needs, she said so, in order to prove that they're uh, for equality, for gender equality or whatever. But maybe a smaller brand, you know, like a, mu a smaller music record label or agency or whatever would want to partner with us, especially press types of publishers, you know, um, gatekeepers in general, any kind of gatekeeper. Uh, it's signaling. With us. It's, it's signaling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, like if you put it in the context of reunion, then no one thought about it this way. I didn't think about it this way, but today it signals come to this party. It's co-signed that it's like not going to be rapey. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's, that's they how, read us today. Yeah, that's how sad the situation actually is, you know. And when, when you thought that, oh, we've made so much progress, it's a woman's world. Hmm. That's still not translating in equal pay. That's still not translating into removing inappropriate behavior, you know. Of course, what's yes, happening... Tell me, the, um, tell me the, the list today. Like, what equal pay, removing people, you know, offenders... Yeah, I mean, what we're what we're asking for is is really not that much, right? It's some <clears throat> basic basic rights at the end of the day, equal pay, equal opportunity first and foremost. Because even 
before you get to the point where you actually get to be paid in the music industry, you still have to hop over some pretty massive obstacles. You're, you're going to have to, what they say, pay your dues for like a year in this country. It's ridiculous. And this country is even crazier than, you know, in the UK or, or Europe. Entry level, uh, getting a job at a major record label as an assistant, like at Epic, Republic, you know, Warner, you're talking 24K. Like, yeah. like it, it might literally, like I'm, I'm, I know for a fact, I don't know if every single assistant is making that, but that is a number that I have a friend who, that's what she made for three years working for someone who's now who was at the time pretty big had a promotion but now is like huge and she made 24k as that person's assistant for three years in in new york city working in midtown exactly exactly so who do you think can afford to live in new york city on 24k a year sons and daughters of people that's it Exactly. exactly. Again, see, it's just the same fucking life cycle that's perpetuated by this system. And, and it, there's a really nice parallel with where we are in terms of the live event industry, right? Where the system is just so broken where artists have to rely on income to come from uh, touring that now that it's All your work is an advertisement for your live. Like how, you know, it exposed how vulnerable the entire music ecosystem is and how it's feeding the same in unequal distribution of wealth. So how does that aspect, are you now just speaking generally across the board or because that is something that, is there a, is, is there a micro of that that gets into the, the gender dynamics? Like... With, with with the macro of you know we basically as artists will just make stuff so that we can get a fee an appearance mm -hmm. fee touring that is a model that is across the board is there a nuance to it when you put the lens of gender on it the nuance is that those deals are made by cis white men right the the proverbial privileged white guy all the, all the boxes yeah all the, all boxes. the big agents are mm -hmm. they look a certain way exactly exactly and they give people those kind of poor deals right i'm talking about let's say uh, just actually a for the first time ever because mark is gone mark is mark geiger is going to go do his new project mm -hmm. and there's a female who took his place which is yes, <laughs> right um but yeah let's hope that's actually gonna bring about some change from like within in how we see the deals structured or the contracts structured one of the things that i think caa was doing was they uh, in the hiring process and i know that from maria may i think they were um introducing this new rule where they would cover up the name of the candidate so that oh so that they don't know if it's a woman or if it doesn't sound American, you know, or your traditional American. <laughs> like it's like the Freakonomics episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, th things like that to remove that unconscious bias from the equation. And it's, it's the same when you, when you talk about record deals, right? They're, they're made to turn that record label into a parasite 
for for the artist where the artist is so dependent and is stuck into that deal for like five six years or whatever it's intentionally made poor for the artist to, to keep them stuck in the one in that ecosystem and to have uh longevity for the record label to have longevity you know where they have the rights in perpetuity or for a really long time the artist can't own any of his cat their catalog so it's those same people basically that decide who gets hired who doesn't how much that person's getting paid uh going back to the assistant example there there are some there are some very um I call them the invisible monsters, you know, some things that are happening that you don't have transparency on at all. And you cannot prove that this is what's happening. And, and it's very, it makes it very difficult to like fight it. Things like if you're a good assistant and you're making 24K a year, they're going to want you to stay in that job for as long as you possibly can. Oh yeah. I remember when I, was I, I remember this the example I was giving you like I was tight with the boss and and the the assistant and like I would lobby for her for other things and I know that the boss didn't want her to get those things because she wanted to keep her as the assistant but she exactly. also didn't get the budget to pay her more so she could I you know maybe she went up to 36 by the time she was out of there onto the next job but like still 36 is Put 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 someone in you know thirty six thousand dollars salary anywhere in the world and that's a shitty salary, but Midtown Manhattan. You're in Romania, but yeah, you're you're not gonna build yourself a house with that. You know, you're gonna be able to cover your day to day expenses, but that's yeah. not the case in New York City, that's for sure, or in LA or in London. And so, how do you prove that this is actually happening, right? Unless it's someone like you who knows both people and they know the story. And it's a very particular, isolated case. Well, that I mean, well, that's a that's another thread, and this is more personal. But like, there's no other me's. I'm the only me. I'm the only one who talks about it, and I get in trouble for it. I've gotten in trouble for it forever. I'm sure you're aware. Like, I, I get in trouble for it because I'm allowed in the club, and I say, and I start. You know, we're having the meeting. We're having the boys' club meeting, and I'm like, guys, 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 like, come on, you know, and and, and they're they don't want. And but I've been doing this my whole life, and uh, it started with you know just straight up like it's it's just because it's very it's like I rejected my assimilation as a white person from Judaism, and and then I just like multiply that by the rest of my life, and I applied the same the same thing occurred every time I was put in the same position. So every time I was you know th that's why I'm not at all. I wanted to democratize content sharing i was like there's a this better system where like the artists should be the most important sharers then the publishers should be the second most important and we should actually just own the highway and let them own the cars and let someone sell them their gas and oil and like so i i always i always uh so i'm talking about this but uh typically the me in this scenario would be having sex with the assistant and doing deals with the uh, not dating the assistant, but sleeping with the assistant and doing deals with the, uh, the, the, the had a promotion person and be part of keeping the assistant both in, in the, in the place that we want the, that person. That's the me of the situation typically. Yeah.
I'm not yeah. trying to like make myself like some, I'm just, I'm, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I live in disparity for whatever reason. I'm weird. Well, the, and that was my intention. One of my intentions, which she said so too, you know, it was to attract women who are, who have infiltrated in some shape or form, they are there and they can be our insiders, you know, our, yeah. our people who will then like change the system from within because Apple and Facebook and Universal Music, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're, yeah. they're here to stay. So we're definitely not gonna tear them down as, as organizations, as companies. So how can we infiltrate them from within and implement, you know, and inspire to start with and hopefully leading up to implementation of those changes that we want to see? And it's hard. I mean, it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. And that can be sometimes demoralizing. But we're, we're out here, you know. I'm not happy that you're still in the club and you're, you're kind of, in, you know, our little insider in, in, in that club to keep us posted with what's happening and, and speak up and stand up when things get really messed up in those boys' clubs. Another example is um being being a parent as a woman i'm i'm 31 now and i'm starting to consider taking on some interviews you know it's a very uncertain time i don't know what's going to happen with she said so maybe it's time for me to go back into full-time employment um and i'm 31 and they will see that in my resume and i'm pretty sure a lot of what some hiring managers have on their mind is that is she going to take a year off sometime? Yeah, in the she's time? about to probably have a child. That's why she wants to get a full-time job now so that she can go on maternity leave, even though you only get, what, two weeks or whatever in this country. Um, that's what they're thinking. A lot of hiring managers, you know, this is just my personal example, but I'm, I know a lot of women who are in the same position where you're being dismissed from the get-go without even getting to the first round of interviews because they will assume that at some point within the next five years, you're not going to be at your best. You're going to have a baby brain or you're going to just take off altogether, you know, and not work at all. I've never heard that phrase before, baby brain, but I, I guess I know what you mean. Yeah, it's real. It's real. I, a few friends of mine just started having babies now, so I'm, I'm getting up to speed with all the, all the lingo. I have so many, I've never had more friends have babies than during quarantine. <laughs> Everyone, I, so many friends had kids during this period for some reason. I don't know why. Or I don't know if I'm just noticing it more or something like that, but it feels like I had like, I had like 10 friends, babies during quarantine. Or maybe it's the age, right? You said you're 36. 36, yeah. So I mean, it's definitely partly the age. Yeah, like my people had babies way later than our parents did. My sister had a baby early, but like everyone else, like you know, now is the time. But exactly. I felt funny that everyone did it during. <laughs> and, Obviously, they didn't plan for it that way, but like it just happened that way. Yeah. So the perspective of being a mother is a hindrance. And then you also have, once you are a mother, let's say you're in your forties or whatever, and you want to get a job, you know, you're not going to get the sexy jobs because to get a sexy job in music, you're going to have to uh, be able to go out every night and be at those after parties and just be a fun. But what's like fucked up is like those parties are totally stupid and like unnecessary and that's all so like 
like I grew up, my dad doesn't go to those parties. My dad never did. He maybe when he was like a kid, you know, when he was like a promotion guy, like, like literally a radio promo guy bringing vinyl records to other DJs when he was in his twenties, like give, you know, like literally maybe at that time, but early, early days, he was, he was head of promotion by his late twenties and he was president by, you know, by like 30. And at that point in his life, he's not going to these parties to get stuff done. Like you don't need to, and, and I'm not saying just cause he was in a high up position, like you don't need to go to those parties to get shit done. This is like a, like a, this isn't about gender dynamics or, or any of these intersectional issues. This is just some BS noise that people think that to be relevant, you have to be, okay. I remember when I was like on my way out, I had a conver- and I've quoted this conversation a few times in stories. Like this would have been, you know, 2016, 2017. I remember seeing a friend, like an A&R guy who I see all the time and saying to him, like, this was when I'm like very much questioning all of this. And I'm just like, what? And I say, dude, like, okay, like, you know, you're, I don't know, you're, you're an A&R consultant. Like, what are you making? 120, you know, 125 a year, like, like maybe something like that. You're at no name and tenants of the trees and whatever, like drinking $20 cocktails all night, buying rounds for people like four to seven nights a week. Like what, what are you doing with your money? First of all, and like, how are you drinking so much? And like, why are you spending this time and your resources? Like, why are you at these clubs, these parties? And, And he said, not he said to stay relevant and he said it in a very like like sober way because like this is how he stays relevant and i challenged them and i was like yo like put the same time and effort into your work and like your life you know he's kind of right he's kind of right in this city at least but no he's 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 right only in a self-perpetuating way in my opinion you He's right, because that is there. That is, yes, the way it is. But it is a self-fulfilling prophecy is, is what I'm getting at, pretty much. Like, you can break it. Like, I had a lot of success because I was in it. But that wasn't like, that was just, that just became the way I was able to make things happen. But I didn't become, like, you don't have to be in it to be quote you know successful there's there's different routes it's self-perpetuating when people say stuff like you need to be at these after parties in order to like be like you could also just go for lunch with the person the next day like (laughs) you can do that it's actually like i do tea i don't do drinks with people i do tea like i've been doing that for a while and it's a very different experience like if you just have tea with people instead of alcohol with people or even coffee it's a very different experience. And so I just, I challenge the, I, I agree with you that it is the way it is, but I grew up with mom and dad not doing that. And dad did really well. And they did, they never did that. And I, I just, I know that it's, I know people that don't go out, that don't, that are not involved in these things. Like you don't have to do it that way. If you don't know another way to do it, yeah, it's the default. But it's just the default because it's it's self-perpetuating. And that's and that's changing anyway. I mean, 
the, the entire music industry is changing, right? Because of streaming, basically, just like the internet just changed everything. We're, we're not, we're not seeing this. I think it's just new people. I think it's all the same thing. It's just radio. I, I like to think that, well, I suppose because of this new, you know, the rise of the distro model and the rise of platforms like Patreon, uh, there is more, um, yeah, independence and more ownership that artists or, or, you know, content owners, whatever kind of content it oh, is what the? they make, you know, they, they have more autonomy over it than they used to because you have more options, right, to monetize directly from it's people. It's a wonderful time. I, someone asked me, I said, it's, it's the golden age of making 50 to 100K a year as an artist. Yeah, I agree. As, I, but like, I don't know a lot of people who want to make 50 to 100K a year as an artist. That's the <laughs> thing. But it is the golden age for that. If you want to do your Patreon and stuff, just run the numbers, you know? Patreon takes whatever, 15% or something like that. Run the numbers on how many people you have to charge, how much money to make more than that. It's a lot. And like, it's cool and all. So I don't know, this whole Pharrell thing. Um, like Pharrell loves to talk about own your masters and stuff like, like I love Pharrell. He's fucking incredible, but Pharrell is very, very famous. Like, first of all, above all, because he is a genius, like artist and he made beats that are next level. And then he made songs and he made so many things that he made shoes. And then he made, he made so many things that are so incredible, but he's been bankrolled by really, really big companies if I would say the advances that Pharrell has been paid over his the lifetime of his career are top five, I would guess, of any person, any any individual in his industries of both music and fashion. I would say he's he's received. I, I'm I'm totally making this up. Like I'm just guessing. Like if you go over the twenty plus years of his career, I would I would say top five amounts of advance that he's received. And he says, "Own your masters." Pharrell doesn't own his masters because he knew he needed millions of dollars to develop himself because yeah. studios are expensive. You, it's really cool when you have $30 million in the bank from royalties that you've recouped over 20 years. Then you buy all your own stuff and then you buy your masters back and stuff. And that's really awesome. Fucking amazing. But <laughs> you got there after, you know, 15, 20. And I'm not saying the system is perfect, but Pharrell took the money for from Adidas too. Not like, just the record labels. So this whole thing about owning your masters and, and, and the autonomy and the freedom, it's like, yo, it's super cool. But like every time I make a song, it costs me between, you know, at least $1,500. Mm -hmm. Pretty much anything I do costs me at least $1,500. And I'm like in a sweet position. Yep. Like that's a lot of money. I want to make an album. You know, I need at least like 25 grand. Yeah. If you want to do a legit album, that's on yeah. everything as opposed to just the SoundCloud, you know, release. Then. And I'm talking, I'm like nothing. I'm the tiny, you know, I'm nothing. But 25 grand is a lot of money. Yeah. If we're talking, and, and 25 grand, if we're talking about the autonomy and the, the numbers, the, the freedom that you're talking about, which is, which is, yes, beautiful. But like the freedom that we have today, how the music industry has changed, it's not freedom to go make a $25,000 album. You see, like I can't make a $25,000 album with this market that you're talking about with Patreon and stuff. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I can, I can make a $25,000 album and I can, but I need to get some, I need someone to, I either need, I need to be DJing and touring. I can't do it now because I can't, 
but that was my plan. Like I made an album that cost not quite that much because I'm like in a great position and I can, I'm, I'm, I'm uniquely efficient, but I'm, I'm treated special. Like, um, but for all intents and purposes, probably like should have been like a $25,000 album. Um, and I was going to recoup it in two seconds touring and I can't do that anymore because that's gone. And I don't have another thing that does that. And no one else does. I mean, like, like I have marketing consulting, but no one's paying me to marketing consult right now. And like, so I, I don't know. I just challenge this whole idea. Like, I think that, that the faces have changed. Like there's a lot more female executives. Like Spotify has from the beginning hired. I mean, it's pretty 50, 50, like when, like the people that I speak to, there's positions of influence. They've been really good. Apple, same thing. Like, but like, it's still, you know, we're talking about radio and we're talking about, and then there's just like, the the, diff, the Patreon is just the local scene. It's just, it's the same thing of like, there is, there were bands back in the day that like played at, you know, like Axis on Lansdowne in Boston once a month and sold 300 tickets once a month for 20 years. And like, that's their life. And that's awesome. And they that's like Patreon, you know? Like play at the same venue once a month for your whole life and sell it out that's like Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think we had, I think everything's just like moved around. I don't think it's like some like, Oh, it's, it's better. Or, I don't know. That's just, that's just it's different. It's changed. And it, it, it did, it did enable more people, right? Like the, the, the long tail of artists and creatives to make that between 50 and a hundred K. Maybe that's only a massive amount. There's way, way, way more. The quantity of people. So like, imagine that Lansdowne Avenue example. Imagine if like every neighborhood had one of those in the world. Now that's uh, that's like how it is. There's room for every neighborhood in the world to have an access and have a monthly residency for like five bands. And then the, you know, the superstars, they're still the same fabricated, same kind of process of development, of artist development that, that's always been around. And even with, you know, the rise of MGMs and all sorts of other social platforms, in what happens in the end, Warner gets to buy, you know, the biggest content producer. Yeah, two days ago, they just bought IMGN and like, right, IMGN, yeah like um, yeah whatever it is you if you know the story you know the story if not it's a content creator and whatever don't worry about it they make viral content you know because Warner wants to make viral content now that's how they're gonna push their artist releases from now on I don't know so I just think like what's the and now TikTok is a distributor as of like a few hours ago or something like yeah I think it's just it's just um I think it's the same thing I think it's just Lansdowne Avenue but like times a you know times a million well, I could draw very interesting parallels with the feminist movement or the diversity and inclusion. Draw them, please. We're, we're, I mean, we're in the same place, right? I mean, all of a sudden there is awareness and people care about black people and women. I think that's kind of where we're at, you know? Don't Let's go crazy. Work. Don't ask us for too much at once, yeah, okay? Don't ask no, for I'm just learning about people. black people and women right now, okay? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. I was actually talking to Jameson about that. Slow down, okay? We're, we're working on this one, all right? Like, 
Jeez. People don't have the capacity to <laughs> intersectionally to see the... To realize the, that the trans idea is the same idea. That's a, like, whatever, we don't need to do this one. But like, I always, every time the word feminism is said, I'm like, I cringe. Like, I just like, I don't want to have to use the word. Like, it just means like, don't do fucked up shit. Like, mm -hmm. that we have to create, that, that I have to define myself as being, as a, pill, a pillar of myself is that I am against these things that are fucked up. Like, I don't want to define myself that way. I don't want to say I am a feminist and I'm proud of that. I don't want anyone to have to say that. I think it's ridiculous. It's yeah. like, I am anti, uh, you know, car crashes. Like, yeah, good. Cars, right? we car want crashes that suck. We want those cars to just, you know, keep going. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, all this progression in terms of awareness, has led some people to believe that all of a sudden the world is a much better place for women and probably now for black people. And they're gonna quickly forget about it and move on and just keep doing what they're, what they've As always they done. The yeah. well, maybe with a new app in, in their phone, right? With a TikTok instead of a Facebook. And, but it's the same, the, the game is the same. Yeah. Well, that, that's the parallel I'm trying to draw. It's like, yeah, there has been some change and things are happening. But ultimately, it would still take 125 years for women to get paid the same as men for the same job. That hasn't changed. In the UK, companies over 250 people are required by law to um, publicize the, the, their wages, the, the, the wage gap. Yeah, I, re I read all of that. Uh, Tim Ingham put it all up and, and I read that and it was really, yeah, that was, that was a great study. Um, and you know, you, you also notice that there hasn't really been any numbers are the numbers are like between you know sixteen percent, twenty nine percent, some outliers. Yeah, we're we're looking at pretty low net numbers of 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 the diversity between men and women. Gender and again, diversity. That's only looking at looking at gender, right? Let's see. How yeah, that was just gender, and that was just the UK, and that was that was the big companies like Apple, Spotify, the major labels. Mm -hmm. I think that was it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think UMG hasn't even published theirs yet because right, right. the UK government pardoned all companies this year because of the pandemic. So I don't even think Apple and Spotify actually published their numbers, but I did see some, um, some, the other two majors and a couple of other like big, uh, UK, um, organizations like PPL, uh, PRS who, you know, they, they collect, uh, they're collecting societies. Right, right. Societies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Collecting societies. Um, and again, the numbers were women only, and now there's petitions to, uh, make sure that at the very least ethnicity is included in that report as well. And you'll see when, when those numbers come out, they will be looking even worse for black women, um, I'm curious. I'm curious if it, what what the gap is um, uh, ethnically, actually, from an ethnicity perspective, and if that changes the perspective um, uh, on. Do you think the the positioning of hip hop in the industry, like basically pop, is kind of under hip hop at this point, in my opinion? Like pop is just like the the same as hip hop. Like, do you think that hip hop's dominance? Like, what do you, what do you think the effect is? It definitely skewed numbers in favor of diversity. Um, 
but I don't, I, I, again, I'm working on assumptions. I'm, I feel like in, in the UK, you have mostly the grime scene and it's a very particular type of, you know, hip hop, I suppose, and lyricism and the issues that they touch on. They're very British, which is one of the reasons why I feel like it, grime's never really made it bigger than within the UK borders because it's so, it's such a statement. It's a political statement, the whole, the, the whole music, the whole community, everything's um, very- I remember Lady Sovereign, Lady Sov. I don't know if you would even, do you know who she is? I've, I've, uh, I've, I've known of her, yeah, yeah. But yeah I don't like, know. I was going to her shows, like, in college, and I remember, like, when her big record was, she's, like, a female grime artist. I don't even know if you'd call her grime, but she was just, you know, British hip-hop. Um, and I'm talking, like, 2003, probably, and she had this record about hoodie law that you had to take your hoodie down in london there was a law it was sort of like a stop and frisk kind of law like if you think about the us um new york and uh she made a song about it and it was like a hot record but mm -hmm. like i remember when she came over and she did it in boston when i was in college and like you know it just doesn't it doesn't land. like yeah because it's like no one's like oh there's a hoodie law and that's a social issue now because what do you you know if you whatever just to distill this is like it doesn't matter if a white person's wearing a hoodie it only matters if a black person's wearing a hoodie if a white person's wearing a hoodie like just you, see, you can they'll see their face but if a black person's wearing a hoodie it changes the situation for the police officer so they don't want people wearing hoodies that really means we want to not have you know these these black gang members and blah 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 like yeah so that was the song but uh, the nuance was completely lost on the hip hop community in the United States. And I thought it was genius. I thought it was great. And this was this four foot 11 white girl making this like huge nuanced social justice statement in a great hip hop song with a hook. And I thought it was genius. I thought it was incredible. But I just, I was like, I tried to explain it to people I remember. And they're, they're oh yeah. Like no one <laughs> just. <laughs> I was, I was like, look at all the layers to this. Like, <laughs> but going back to your question, though, you know, I, I do, I do think that it's changed numbers, but in in that ecosystem only. I don't think it had repercussions on what's happening in Nashville. You know, okay, like, and, and that in itself is a problem. The fact right. that we're putting people in silos like that because of their skin color. And we associate them with a specific genre or, you know, that's, that in itself is, is where the issue starts actually, right? Stereotyping uh, of that nature. And I'm really happy that what's happening, what's happening about what's happening now in the, in the industry in regards to the use of the word urban or urban music, right? Again, it relates back to what you were saying to like the idea that, you know, people with, uh, hoodies are associated it's hilarious that urban is a thing if you think about it for two seconds it's like what it really means is inner city like it's so crazy that urban is because inner city is a is a fucked up thing that there's a dance music band that called this out you know years ago my friend Dennis was a part of it and like it's hilarious like that we made a genre off of you know the poor people who are usually doing a certain kind of music like jesus christ and this is where they come from it's like 
It's like I if wonder who in the Carter is. Yeah, one of came up with that with that name for it's, for this music community. It's crazy. I'm sure, I'm sure it was a. Oh, it was definitely a, an one old white nerd nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, going away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, now there's another journey that we're having to embark on to make sure that black representation is happening not just in those ecosystems but across the entire industry and especially in positions of power especially in those places where decisions are being made you know uh and then the same goes for women as well so we're not just occupying uh roles like marketing and social media and an assistant but also sound engineering you know business development growth marketing like all these more technical software engineering yeah in case i haven't oh yeah someone was talking to me about the um there was a like a law passed not a law but a uh, a pledge yeah it was a pledge mm -hmm. A few, I mean, you definitely know about this, and like um, a few years ago, about the engineers that they would consider a certain amount of female, like technical, uh, you know, applicants for technical positions, like not like like sound engineer and mixing mixing boards and stuff like that, um, you know, front of house, whatever. Um, but that it was a pledge to consider; it wasn't a quota to hire. And that was like two years ago and it's led to it's led to nothing is what i've been told yeah i mean i i see why the pledge to consider is the case because everyone's trying to avoid the situation where you're just giving a job to a woman because she's a woman right the woman doesn't want that the employer doesn't want that no one's happy with that situation the tokenist situation but i think it was inspired by what's happening um in advertising there's another, she oh, said, so, a type of collective called Free to Work, or they used to be called Free, well, free to Work. Free to Work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Film, yeah. film advertising, yeah. Yeah. The idea is that um, three, only three directors or five directors get to bid on a project, right? And uh, their pledge was to make sure that at least 50% of those who get to take part in that bid are women. So then women, you know, aren't selected just because of their gender, but they get to compete and to get to the point where they're even considered in the first place. Um, uh, with, you know, and they have that opportunity in front of clients, in front of video commissioners or whatever. Yeah, in, in, in film, that's like the touring, I got It's like, you know, you make your, you make your, you know, your, 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 uh, what's, calling card mm. you know you make you make a short film that's like your calling card and then you get jobs you get an agent and you get commercial jobs and that's like how you make money this was like what i didn't want for myself which mm. is why i like pivoted to music for the last you know for a while and now i came back to film but in a different position because i don't want to live that life but that's the life that pretty much everyone else lives uh like i just finished a film yesterday with a different cinematographer then I started it with because that cinematographer had to go direct a commercial and right. like, I don't know where he was like like Omaha or something um yeah <laughs> and that's and you're in a privileged position to be able to experiment I have different income streams yeah 
kind of, yeah. I, I came back to it knowing like, I don't need to make money on film. Well, well now what's funny is I do need to make money on film now because I, I don't have other income because of COVID. <laughs> but I had this whole plan where I was going to drop all this music and my clothing and all this stuff and roll out. And I was going to have steady, I was, I was just going to like tour for like three weeks, you know? And then like, that would be good for like, basically like three weeks of touring is like two to six months worth of money pretty much depending on how I'm living. Um, and I was going to do that. And then I was going to, I was going to do like three weeks of touring, go make a movie. Like, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> now instead it's like, it's like mom and dad have to like help me pay rent. Like literally like it's terrible. It's well, I'm happy. I'm happy they can, you know, some people yeah, don't, like, don't have that at all. Yeah. Um, and I have to, now I have to get money. I have to, so now instead of, uh, my music funding my films, now I'm pushing the films faster because I can fundraise around those in a different way. Music fundraising is really horrible. Like, like we were talking about, like, like I'm not, you know, it's, you're just selling your life basically for the ability to make stuff. Uh, but with film, it's like, it's a different story. Like you, you fundraise on an asset that you co-own mm -hmm. and you give away a totally fair amount of it. You give away like half of it to be able to make it, you still own like half your fucking movie, like, which is a massive asset as opposed to owning like 5% of your album that makes no money. You own 50% of a movie that like is a million dollars. And like, you might actually make like, you're not going to end up with 50%, but like, you know, you can make 200,000, like say you sell your film for a million dollars. Like you could actually just like, get back a check of $200,000 like at the end of the day. But either way, you can work 50K into the salary for yourself so that you're like alive and you're covering all your life expense, you know, your production expenses. And then you have like a little bit of money for like six months of rent, you know? Um, with music, it's like you literally, you sell everything to keep not, very not, not pretty, pretty much no percentage of something that's not worth a lot. Mm -hmm. and uh, it's crazy so but so yeah so that's where i'm at now is like i'm fundraising for a film because it's like real as opposed to like if i can't make between two and ten thousand dollars a night djing like it's not worth there's just my music is just a, a thing it's just a nice thing that i do that feels good but like Fucked up, isn't it? yeah it's fucked up the music to me that that's where i'm at that was like like the last couple of weeks where i like i came across that that line where I'm just like, okay, music for the next year at least is just something that I do to connect directly with people who I want to work with, to show them just energetically like what I care about doing. And mm -hmm. I think that's what it is for a lot of people right now. Like I'm not going to build a Patreon that's like going to... I was going to ask you, are you going to get a Patreon page? Well, I mean, I can, I literally like have a, a call, like as, as we were on, I just saw like the guys from Currents.fm just hit me, like we're talking like... I was on with, uh, you know her, you know, Sherry, who um, yeah. she's got like almost a thousand people. And like for me to get a thousand people to pay five bucks a month, like that's going to take me a tremendous amount of effort, especially during COVID. I can't do events. Events are my best thing. Like I'm that that's where I like I've made I've made over a hundred thousand dollars in one night before. Like and yeah. events have always been disproportionately like more impactful for me. 
um, yeah. where like I can make solid salary from like whatever the fuck I'm doing. But then like, if I do events, like I can just rock the world with an event. Um, and that's what I thought I would do. I thought I would launch all my shit with that, but that's been taken away. So everything becomes, I'm not like as valuable as I was at another time as a consultant or something like that. Like I could, I could get those jobs if I really like hustled and made calls, but everyone's trying to get those jobs. And it's just like, what am I, I really want to like be, you know, fucking on marketing calls right now for some bullshit like that, you know, like, like when you were doing mixed cloud calls in 2014, like, do I really want to be that life sucks? Like, so I I'm just, that job, dude, it was, life was a lot easier. Yeah. With, different. With, with responsibilities like that. What's like focus right now? Like people, you know, pandemic's not going away for a while. Like what's focus for, for she said, so like your day to day, like what is the day to day of someone who is lobbying for what, 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 what do you call it? How do you describe it? Oh, well, good question. Cause on one hand we're lobbying to the industry and on the other hand, we're working really hard to empower the yeah, women. building things. Yeah in the community, building projects for them, basically bringing opportunities to them, regardless of what, of what they are. Um, well, right now, day to day, I'm super busy migrating to a new platform. I might, I might open up the Patreon uh, floodgates for She Said So, just so we can get support I think you should. From, from men as well uh, or companies directly, you know, we'll probably have a, a higher price tier for businesses that want to support us as well. Um, and the community of women only will have to continue existing because we did, we did a survey and everyone wants that, but they also want a place where they can connect with other genders. So I think Patreon is going to be that What's your platform for like the women only. I'm thinking mighty networks, mighty networks. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a, oh, it doesn't exist yet. You haven't done this yet. It's not, it's not live yet. I'm working on it behind the scenes to investigate cool. the best kind of relationship okay. uh, between different platforms, because I do need a women's only safe space. You know, our members want yeah. that. They want Have to. you looked at like a discord or something like that? People seem to like discord. Yeah. The thing with discord is that it's more techy and, and it's, it hasn't been adopted by music execs you know music 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 people are very not tech savvy yeah yeah like hilarious it's changing again now because they're being forced by you know the move toward firstly the move towards streaming and now live streaming and it's all becoming just you know digital only so they'll have to get their shit together but discord still kind of is associated with mostly gamers or you know computer people software engineers and so on uh, even Slack, I play, I tried Slack. I was thinking about that as an option, but again, it feels too, like there are too many Slacks and it's embedded. Now uh, you work, use Slack for work as well. And you just get lost in all the channels and messages. Yeah, and I, I'm on that side of things. I just, I, I don't like using any of these. Yeah, me, me neither. So I want a platform that still integrates with your, um, E email in the same way that Slack does, for example, but um, it still creates a, a degree of separation between, you know, your work stuff. Up until now, we've had Google groups. And so you would get your, she said, so updates 
in the same way you'd get a work email if you use the work email, which most of our members did. Uh, and it, it can get busy, you know, it can get, it can get crazy. Not to mention the limitations of the platform itself. Whereas I'm looking for a new home that will allow us to create different sub communities within the larger communities because we've grown so much and it's become, yeah, uh, messy. You have, so, so you've been doing the live streams a lot. I guess live streaming has become like your main platform at this point, right? So, uh, I mean, in no. a way, yes. In term, it has become our main outlet. Outlet, yeah. Um, the, the main platform continues to be the community itself. So when I say community, we are a real community, right? It's like a, it's like a Facebook group, except people tend to be more active and, and uh, accountable in this platform where women just kind of share stuff that they're doing, projects, they give each other opportunities, jobs, promote their work. You know, women are sharing stuff with, with each other as part of this community. It's not just being subscribed to a newsletter because I feel like everyone's building a community nowadays. Every brand has a community of some nature, you know. Um, the word has lost meaning in most contexts. Yeah, it's, a, it's I mean, yeah, it's, it's a shame that it's been commodified, but at the same time, I think it, it, it requires it to go mainstream in order for people to accept it as the default, right? And the fact that all industries and, and society is moving to in the direction of community, of belonging to a community is a good thing because it, we're kind of going back to basics and, you know, and reconnecting with our humanity and in, as a result, empowering people like me who build their own communities or they build their little micro spaces, micro universes, where I can, you know, I can I've get I've never heard anyone else use the phrase micro universe to me <laughs> out of context. I say it all the time. I've never heard anyone use the phrase. Really? Wow. I say it all. I say micro universe. That's, that's it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I feel like she said so is. It's a, it's a little micro universe that exists publicly and privately at the same time, you know, depending on how much you are in it. It's, it's up to you how involved you want to be, you know. Um, but yeah, the live streams have kind of kept our public uh, outlet alive, as well as um, a mentoring program that we have sponsored by YouTube Music with mentees from France and Italy and mentors from all over the world, a mix of international and local mentors. And mentoring has become a, a huge part of what we do because it's a very, it's, it's a practical way in which we can put all of our values into life. Intersectionality, you know, like we can recruit people of all backgrounds, of all, we can even mix men with women or, you know, genders of all kinds with each other and truly bring to life the intersectional values that we believe in, regardless of their age, of where they're located, because we can do virtual mentoring anywhere in the world. Um, the mentees obviously get, you know, it's, it's very obvious what benefits they get, but the mentor also feels empowered. We're preparing them to become leaders, managers, business owners, negotiators. We're tackling imposter syndrome. We're talking about what it takes to stay healthy and sane in the music business, which is a huge component of you know, being a successful 
entrepreneur or artist. There's just so much, right? We, we've, we've moved away from the rock and sex, drugs and rock and roll vibe into, okay, how can I be resilient in front of this insane schedule ahead yeah. of me? It's probably changed now with the pandemic, but still mental health, stress, anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome. These are all things that <clears throat> both artists and executives experience and women tend to be more prone more, more vulnerable to, to these because of a you know a series of, of things and not just because women are emotional <laughs> but it's because of the systemic and also because women uh, are equipped with uh more empathy in that sense but again is it is it nature or is it nurture i don't know if we're more empathic because by default we are, you know, predetermined to be mothers and as a result carers, or because as, you know, uh, child-bearing humans, we are labeled as such, as the carers and the people who uh, invest more, more emotional labor into their baby. And I, I look at my work as my baby, you know, I would, I treat my work regardless of whether she said so, or I am contracted for a week where it's a full-time job. I treat it as my baby. I put 150% of myself into it um, because I feel like it's a part of me. It, it you know, it, uh, it's like my CV around the world without me having to be there, my resume. Um, so anyway, mentoring is a huge is a huge thing for us because it allows us to really support everyone and then the sponsor or the partner also wins because they get score points diversity score points and they also get to retain their talent yeah. if, if they do this program internally for their staff then that employee is i don't know i guess 50 or 35 percent less likely to leave uh, if they're doing that publicly as a marketing campaign, then they get score points because, you know, they're part of this conversation. Everyone wins, basically, as part of this project, which is my favorite. It's my favorite situation to be in. And it's kind of uh, how I've approached my, you know, feminism work in the industry, uh, being very solutions focused because I was surrounded by problems left and right. And I really didn't know where to start to address them and I was very tempted to call people out and call situations out but for some reason I didn't feel empowered to do so I, I mean I didn't even have a loud enough voice I'm still no one in the industry if you think about it you know I'm like I'm literally why not um but what I can't just open my door my friend is here one second I'm on a Zoom right now. But come inside. Oh, did you just call me? Oh, <laughs> hi. Sorry. Um, no worries. We we should probably wrap up anyway, because I gotta leave in a minute. Yeah. Well, tell me. So, like, what? I mean, where do you feel? Like, I don't know. This is a huge moment. It's been. What? Where do you feel like your stock is? Your your clout. Your 
you know, both she said so and, and you personally? Oh, it's a big question. Yeah, I, you caught me right in the middle of asking myself that question. You know, in terms of she said so, the stock continues to be with its people. Like the more people are on board with what, we're, what we believe in, the more chances we have to actually bring that change to life. Uh, and put an end to those freaking parties. <laughs> My goal in life is to- You're not gonna put an end to the party. You're just gonna, you're just gonna <laughs> shift their, their, play, their positioning, their, uh, yeah. their influence on, you're just gonna segment them. The parties are gonna happen regardless, but you, I think they could have less to do with the work. That's, I think, a way to look at it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, let's face it. I, I love, I love a good party myself. You know, I just want to make sure that good things happen at those parties. Everyone is safe and you know, all that kind of stuff. I get uh, some, some, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll host y'all when, when you guys get married, I'll, uh, I'll throw you guys at a party and I'll get some, I'll get some, some people there for you. Oh, please, <laughs> safe please, ones. <laughs> please do. Please do. We're already married, by the way. You should well, come. You got married? No, we're oh my God. five years. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. We're the crazy people. How did I not know that? Who married young. I think we were already married by the time. Oh, and I just didn't realize? And I just yeah, like, in my head, it was never, oh, wow. Well, I mean. Just nowadays, you don't head. say husband and wife anymore. Because again, it's binary, right? So you just say partner. And that can mean anything. Uh, so probably we're. Well, that's great. But whatever, I guess. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> Anyway, throw you you gotta throw our six year anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Whatever whatever <laughs> uh is that wood or gold or whatever it is. Like I don't yeah, know. I don't but, know. But no, but back so like yeah, how do you feel like so your stock for the for she said so is with the community and mm -hmm. for you personally, where do you think this I don't know, like what what where you said you're considering it for yourself right now. What how do you feel? Um well, uh, given the uncertainty that um, is pervading all of us right now, especially in the music industry, I mean, we have hundreds of agents that are out of jobs and pretty sure they have better friends than I do or a lot of other people who are just coming into the music industry do. And so those jobs... Specifically for people not aware, like the booking agencies got hit the hardest by this because touring obviously went away and there's literally hundreds of out-of-work booking agents exactly exactly is it and not open just talking I'm, I'm i'm right here yeah so um me me personally my life has also changed quite dramatically because i my my career was also very event-based and it was very international. So I was invited to speak at conferences and host workshops around the world about community building, about gender equality, about branding, about you know strategy and so on. Um, and that's not, that's not happening anymore. So I've had to reconsider my options. And to be honest, I also kind of miss being a part of a, of a bigger team. I, I uh, thrive in environments of collaboration. And I do kind of have that, which she said so, but because I'm a small operation, I can't hire too many people. I have a social media manager and I have uh, an assistant. Okay. Um, and so, so I miss- Only full-time? 
Hmm? You have four people, right? Four founders or whatever? No, it's just me. Oh, you, oh, I always thought you had like co-founders or, oh no? No, wow. it's just me and maybe 15 other chapters around the world. And yeah, in terms of people I employ, I, I have a social media manager and assistant and that's it. And I miss, you know, I kind of want a partner. I want a co-founder, but I haven't been able to find, plus my story, which she said was very different because I didn't build it with, you know, profit in mind. It's, we, we grew organically into this big thing and only now I need to figure out how to monetize it so that it, it can continue sustaining itself. Yeah. It's got to be a full-time job for me and more, you know. What about being like the diversity consultant at, you know, any of these places? Like yeah, that, that, that's an option. Um, although, you know, I don't have the formal training. I think I have a lot of experience uh, on the gender well, side. Maybe of like she said so can go on retainer <laughs> at like a Warner Music or something as a diversity yeah. consultant, you know? Like, yeah, like sure. Glassnote hired diversity consultants, whatever that means. Like, and I, you know, I really don't understand what it means, but like, um, I, I've, anytime I've experienced any of that kind of stuff, it's really stupid. It's <laughs> like, it's an industry ripe for disruption, <laughs> whatever, you know, it's like, Yep. Yeah. But I also miss just talking about, you know, because when I first started in this, in the industry, I didn't have diversity and equality in mind as my goal, my career goal. I was passionate about, yeah, I was passionate about community. That's how my first ever job was for a startup as a community manager. Um, so it made sense for me that I ended up building my own community, which he said so, you know, but I miss talking about that and about, music and about branding and about artist development and the relationship that you can build with a consumer or, or a fan or a user. I miss talking about startups and disruptive technologies. I miss being part of those conversations that got me where I am in the first place, you know, because and I you're saying this in, in the context of, you know, pandemic or just in overall, like for not for the way that like your day to day is on She Said So. Um, my day-to-day -day this year in particular, because, um, you know, I guess there's less parallel work to go around as, as a result of the pandemic. I was mostly invited to speak at international events or by international partners to deliver some sort of workshop presentation in regards to my, you know, my expertise as a marketer or community builder or technologist, I guess I could call myself a technologist in that sense. So I've always worked at the intersection of culture and technology. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm gonna try to create myself more opportunities in that space to replace what I've lost as a result of not being able to travel anymore. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to go back a little bit into the tech tech space and, and, and be with the nerds. Cause that's what, that's what attracted me to, to this space in the first place. And the music world is a very different world, but now the two worlds are speaking more and more. And I really want oh, yeah. to be part of those conversations to see, to help drive it 
forward, drive the future of the music industry forward in an intersectional way. Because I will be there with all my, she said, so experience making sure that whatever marketing campaigns or product launches or strategies people are working on, they all have this underlying intersectionality in mind and diversity and inclusion in mind. Eventually, that's what, that's what we all want, right? For my job, or for she said so, to have to become redundant, to not be necessary anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's permeated. I mean, like I said about the word feminism, you know, like I don't want to use the word. I, even today, it's, yeah. it feels fucking stupid. Like to have to, to have to be the one to declare it because whoever has to hear it, it's like you're the asshole that you have to hear it, you know? Pretty much, pretty much. But it's yeah. like uh, it, it's like that dating app uh, hinge. They say <laughs> we're built to be deleted. That's like yeah. their their poster. Like like, like download uh, download us to delete us. You know, some, there's something like that. Like like we want to be deleted because we want you to find a match. You know, so she said so wants to go out of business. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I want that. I want that. But unfortunately, we're far from being yeah, at yeah. that point. Let's hope it's booming. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, maybe people listen to this and um, and hit you up and be like, "Yo, I got some ideas. I got some applications for for you know where we need to go with this." Um, but yeah, I'm happy that like there's people in the music industry specifically focused on a music centric approach to a lot of the topics that that you know we're, we want to shift on mm-hmm. i think like you know there is a lot of geez, the the real estate thing like like there is a lot of blood on the streets right now it is pretty fucked up and like it's going to be a lot of like things starting from scratch and that's a cool opportunity to like things that are going to be renewed that you could do it right yeah, let's rewrite the rules since we have to rebuild. Yeah, we have to rebuild so much. So at this point, we can do it without a lot of the, you know, old, red-faced, white-haired men that, you know, were making all the decisions for the last like eighty years. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're ready. We're ready to replace you, folks, and we promise to be gentle as we take over. <laughs> all right. Cool. All right. Good. I like that. Well, send love to Jameson and uh, stay, you know, don't go outside because it'll kill you. Everything will kill you. And uh, <laughs> on screen, we'll do a part two in person with T. And mm-hmm. thank you. It's great yeah, to have no, Thank you for, for me. Yeah, I know. We'll make Let it. Let me know when you're back in LA. Never, never. But, uh, <laughs> I'll see you in Romania. You can show me Romania. I want to see Romania. Yeah. That's going to be fun, I promise. Yeah. I'm thinking about at some I have point. people there. Yeah, we got we to gotta build. There's like a, there's a, there's a, something happening. I'm going to go see the new Christy Poyu film uh, next month. Romanian really? filmmaker. He's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited for that. It'll be a New York film festival. So I'll see that like on a screen. I'm really excited for him. I love him. I once did a four and a half hour interview with him. When I was like 20, probably, where I talked for maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> Those are the best interviews where he's, you just... Uh, he's a whole nother, oh my God. 
His yeah. English is really good. Us Romanians, we love to talk. Like we. Oh just, my god, he talks like no one I've ever met. Yeah. And we use a lot of words because our language is um, more like French, you know, where you kind of have to use ten words for the equivalent of three in English. Okay. So it sounds a lot more uh, na narrative-ish as a result. Like it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's a whole journey. And it's a nar narrative journey. He definitely talks like that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, well, lovely to catch up. Romania. Thanks again, Iria, uh, with the vampires. Right. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we'll talk again soon. And thank Have you. Have a good one. All right.